Bell Hummel, the story of Eddie Hummel. Episode 3, Amsterdam and Beverwijk. Not long after Eddie's tenure in Alkmaar came to an end, Ajax were getting ready to play their very last match at the old wooden stadium. The Amsterdam club was moving to their new home, a modern spectacle in steel and concrete called Demir, the same name as that most humble and unmodern of football grounds in Volendam. The club's final match at the old wooden stadium was played on Sunday, the 11th of November in 1934. Eddie Hommel almost surely was in attendance that day, since everybody who cared about football in Amsterdam wanted to be there. The game was against Ajax's top rival, Feyenoord of Rotterdam, and both teams were considered front-runners for the overall Dutch title. Neither club had a lock on trophies exactly. Ajax had finished at the top of the first division six times since promotion in 1911, but had never won the championship tournament. Feyenoord, promoted in 1912, had topped the first division only once, but went on to win the championship tournament. Their successes had added to the rivalry between the two clubs. But it was more than that. Rotterdam had always had a chip on its shoulder about its big brother to the north. Amsterdam was the capital, the undisputed center of Dutch culture. It had the biggest museums, the most theaters, and the most expensive restaurants and posh hotels. Amsterdamers tended to look down their noses at their southern rivals. Rotterdamers, for their part, thought the capital had a silver spoon in its mouth and a stick up its ass. Rotterdam was the country's financial heartbeat, with the most trade houses and factories and one of Europe's largest and most lucrative ports. Amsterdam is where we make merry. Rotterdam is where we make money, so the saying went. Football games between the two cities were quickly becoming this rivalry's parabolic mirror, gathering and condensing all that prejudice, jealousy, and animosity into a single place. Het classic here, the classic, Ajax v Feyenoord. This classic here, the last match to be played in the old wooden stadium, was the one everyone wanted to see. On game day, the place was packed by the biggest crowd ever to jam itself into the old wooden ring. The grandstands and terraces were overflowing, and over a thousand fans stood along the edges of the field. Hundreds, perhaps thousands, stood in front of the thin wooden railing between the grandstands and touchlines. Just before game time, the huge crowd standing along the western touchline parted to allow players and coaches from both teams to enter the pitch, led by the referee. Moments later, the mass of fans closed behind them like some great human seawall. The teams stood together at the center spot while the mayor of Amsterdam attempted to give a speech over the loudspeakers. But just after a few seconds, the huge crowd grew restless. Shouts of, get on with it, and wrap it up were heard, followed by bursts of laughter. The mayor was forced to curtail his remarks. Finally, the highly anticipated match kicked off. Both teams seemed to struggle with the challenge of playing in front of such a massive, sometimes unruly crowd. A few passes that would have rolled out of play simply bounced off the legs of the spectators. The first half was chaotic, and the score was 0-0 at the break. During the interval, many of the less committed fans called it a day, which opened up plenty of space in the grandstands. Most of the pitch side fans moved up for a better view, others simply left. 
Ushers and policemen walked the perimeter of the field, moving the crowd back behind the touchlines. In the second half, with the shape of the field restored, the home side began to find their form. Ajax moved the ball around in their familiar way, passing in all directions with single touches, which often left the Feyenoord players scrambling. The home fans got behind their team with gusto. A policeman, walking a beat near the Botanical Garden, some five kilometers from the Wooden Stadium, noted the roars of the crowd in his evening report. If the first half was a tense, cagey affair, the second half was no contest. The Ajax striker Bob Tenhav scored a natural hat-trick, and the home team added a fourth goal from Johnny Regg just before the end. The huge crowd spilled out of the stadium in an ecstatic mood, blocking trams on the Middenweg and frightening women pushing prams in Oosterpark. Police moved through the throngs, trying to convince thousands of boisterous Ajax fans to go home. But it had been the last game played in the old wooden stadium, and it was a cracker. The Amsterdammers simply didn't want it to end. The new Ajax stadium was built very close to Betzendorp, the concrete village built by the city of Amsterdam in the 1920s. Bettendorp was a massive experiment in affordable housing that used only plain, durable materials, mostly steel-reinforced concrete, and the most sober and minimalist of designs. If you drain all the richness and whimsy out of Art Deco and focus entirely on function, Bettendorp is what you get, with its nearly 2,000 identical monochromatic homes surrounding a central square of shops and green space known as the Brink. The ultimate hero of Ajax, Johan Cruyff, would later grow up in Bettendorp, developing his early skills playing football in the tight confines of an underpass within the concrete village. Stadion de Mir matched the utilitarian vibe of Bettendorp perfectly. Ajax's new home was itself an imposing structure of concrete and steel. And yet, like the concrete village, it was somehow still elegant inside and out. Thousands of modern-day Ajax fans look back with nostalgia on the club's second stadium, many even sporting tattoos of Demir's iconic floodlight towers. The first game ever played at Demir was a friendly between Ajax and the Parisian club Stade Francaise on December 9, 1934. The new stadium's official capacity was 22,000, but that number would swell to nearly 30,000 for the biggest matches. There's newsreel footage of that first game at Demir, available on YouTube and linked from our website, which begs an interesting question. Did Eddie Hommel play for the Ajax veterans on that famous day? We know that Eddie played often for the Ajax veterans throughout the 1930s, and that the veterans usually played prior to the first team matches. In the video, we see the Ajax veterans marching, and there's a player in the middle of the pack who looks very much like Eddie. There's no conclusive proof, but I believe it's him. Eddie Hommel was still coaching at RKSV at this time, but no longer at Alkmaria Victrix. It must have been a bitter disappointment, failing to win over the board and inspire greater success in Alkmaar. Eddie surely needed a new challenge, and he found it much closer to home in Beverwijk with De Kenemers, a mid-table team in the third division of the KNVB. The club's full name was Beverwijk Football Association de Kenemers. Beverwijk is a smallish town on the banks of the North Sea Canal, connecting Amsterdam to the open ocean. Its scenic dunes and proximity to the capital made it a popular spot for wealthy Amsterdamers to build their second homes. 
but its own means of commerce were limited, so funds for its new football club were also modest. The board of directors at Kenimers decided to hire their first professional coach in 1934, a humbling time for the club. Their football ground, De Watervliet, had just been demolished to make way for a new power station. The team had to practice and play games on a makeshift pitch in the middle of a public park. By hiring Eddie Hommel, the board was trying to create some civic pride in their team. It worked. Eddie took over in the fall and immediately instituted his rigorous 90-minute training sessions, emphasizing technical skills and fitness. In his very first season, 1934-1935, De Kenimers finished as the champions of the third division and were promoted. In that same season, Eddie also led RKSV and Volendam to their first-ever overall Catholic League title. This double championship would prove to be Eddie's greatest achievement as a coach. DeKenimers did just as well the following season, in a much tougher second division, playing a highly coordinated style of football. In the run-up to a game in Groningen, the opposing club's newsletter praised the visitors, declaring that the guests have a nice squad, trained by former Ajax player Hommel, who is not unfamiliar in the north of the Netherlands. It is noticeable that all players seriously do their best to apply the wise lessons they took from him at practice. This is evident because every player passes the ball immediately after getting it. In the 1936-37 season, DeKenimers played their best football ever, finishing in first place in their division, earning the right to play in the second division championship match. The match winners would be promoted to the top level of Dutch football to play against the likes of Ajax and Feyenoord. DeKenimers had the best record in the second division and so they would host the match. Their opponents would be DWV from Amsterdam North. The club's full name roughly translates to acquired by willpower. DWV had played in the first division once before in the 1913-1914 season, but the successful club had then been destroyed by natural catastrophe. In 1916, a fierce winter storm forced the waters of the Zuiderzee to overtop its banks and inundate Amsterdam North along with huge swaths of farmland in the north of Holland. The flooding destroyed homes, carried away livestock, and killed 51 people. The death toll would have been greater if it weren't for the fact that most farmhouses were two-story, providing shelter from the rising waters, and that most people in the region had their own boats. The flood had literally washed away DWV, destroying the club's pitch, grandstands, and clubhouse. The forgotten flood of 1916 had also been a disaster for Volendam, but in a very different way, and one that wouldn't be felt for years. Prior to the flood, the Dutch government had tried and failed to muster support for an ambitious plan to dam up the Zuiderzee and reclaim the lowlands for farming. But the Great Flood had been so destructive, causing the citizens of Holland to lose faith in the intricate system of dikes and canals that protected them from rising seawaters. So in 1918, the government passed a law mandating construction of the Aflusdijk, a massive land bridge that would span 35 kilometers and separate the waters of the inland Markemir from the North Sea. It would protect the center of the country from further flooding and create huge polders for farming, helping to shore up the nation's food supply. The massive project was completed 14 years later, the exact year Eddie Hommel took over as coach of RKSV in Volendam. The Aflusdijk meant that the Markemir no longer held fish from the North Sea. 
the economy of Volendam began to wither. Meanwhile, in North Amsterdam, DWV had come back from the dead. True to its name, acquired by willpower, DWV returned to the League in 1921. And in 1936, 15 years after their return, the North Amsterdamers were about to play De Kenemers for the Second Division Championship. The winners would be promoted to the top division of Dutch football to face the biggest teams, including Ajax and Feyenoord. The hosts in Beverwijk correctly anticipated a huge crowd and hastily erected a long grandstand along Hendrik Mandeweg, large enough to accommodate 2,000 spectators. But on game day, a crowd of over 6,000 packed into the makeshift sports park, far and away the most heavily attended sporting event in Beverwijk's history. Spirits ran high, so a cordon of mounted policemen stationed themselves between the grandstands and the pitch. A marching band and circus performers entertained the crowd. Just before kickoff, a small army of ushers ran out with shovels to clear away mounds of horse dung along the touchlines. The Kenemers must have entered the match with high confidence due to their superior record during the regular season. Eddie may have allowed himself to dream of competing against Ajax in the first division. But DWV, the resilient underdogs, earned a convincing 0-2 victory and promotion. The Kenemers would stay in the second division. It must have been a disappointment to Eddie Hommel, who had accomplished so much in just a few seasons in charge. A return to the top flight of Dutch football, this time as a coach, would have been a fitting reward for all his hard work. But it was not to be. When Eddie had taken over to Kenemers four years earlier, the Beverwijk club had been mired in the third division. Now, they'd come just a single result short of reaching the first division. But it's hard to say whether promotion would have changed much in Beverwijk. Maybe they would have struggled and been quickly relegated again. Or maybe the heightened interest in games against the top clubs from Amsterdam and Rotterdam might have set De Kenemers on a different trajectory to a more permanent position among the country's elites. It's possible, but unlikely. For all its borrowed wealth, Beverwijk was still a small town with only a modest economic engine. Even if they'd won promotion, there's no guarantee that the city council would have funded a proper stadium, and even less likely that enough fans would have turned up every week to fill it. That level of support, despite the club's recent success, just wasn't possible in such a small town. There's an interesting but ultimately mysterious footnote to Eddie's coaching career around this time. In the spring of 1934, New Israelisch Weekblad, an Amsterdam-based weekly newspaper for Dutch Jews, reported that Hamel would be the coach of a soccer team competing in the Maccabiya Games, also known as the Jewish Olympiad, to be held in Tel Aviv in the summer of 1935. The article reads, On Sunday 13 May, at a meeting in the Park Hotel, the Amsterdam Department of Maccabi Nederland was founded. Its aim is to promote a more harmonious development of body and mind among the Jews. It offers its members the opportunity to practice all kinds of sports and physical education. Maccabi Amsterdam also hopes to participate in the second Maccabiya Games, also known as the Jewish Olympiad, to be held in April 1935 in the Tel Aviv Stadium. Mr. Hommel, the well-known Ajax player, will train the football players. We don't know if Hommel put a team together or did any real coaching of a squad. The official records are incomplete. 
but we know that no Dutch soccer team participated in that competition. Six countries did. Romania, Germany, Eretz Yisrael, also known as Mandatory Palestine at the time, Poland, the United Kingdom, and Lithuania. Medals went to Romania, Germany, and Eretz Yisrael. Who knows why the Dutch team never made it to Tel Aviv that year. If they had, Eddie's story may have ended differently, much like his imagined participation at the first ever World Cup in Uruguay in 1930. For Hamel to travel to Palestine, he would have needed an American passport, which is something that would have changed the course of his life and his family's lives in the following decade. Bill Hamill is written and presented by Jim McGow and is produced and edited by Nigel Coutinho. Original music written and performed by Paul Chavez. Artwork by Fred Davis. To see photographs and documents relevant to this story, visit our website at bellhommelpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram via the links on our website. Next time on Bell Hummel, Eddie's first and last Jewish club.